Hello and welcome everyone to the Neurodiverse Teacher Podcast. I am very excited to introduce you to my guest today, Gramps Jeffrey. Gramps Jeffrey is a child has written a children's book called I Don't Want to Turn Three, which explores what goes through a toddler's mind that parents are so desperate to understand. It is based on his true experiences that he has had with his six grandchildren. And I Don't Want to Turn Three is a simple story that teaches kids social skills, getting along with others, and the advantages and disadvantages of growing up and growing older. It is written from a child's point of view with an awareness that kids can be self but also capable of learning and understanding. Children will find I Don't Want to Turn Three completely relatable, and parents will be able to recognize the world from their child's frame of reference. It's also a starting point where grandparents can become involved in helping their grandchildren understand the difference between right and wrong. The book has valuable messages like taking responsibility for your own actions, which is a lesson affecting readers of all ages. So welcome, Gramps. I'm really excited for you to be here today and to share a little bit more with us us about your book. I appreciate you inviting me. In fact, that music you played in the beginning was so inspiring. It gets you <laughs> up and excited about the life. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. It was, it's supposed to pump you up, right? And, and feel motivated. So I'm glad that that did just the trick there. So the first thing I, I want to jump into with you, though, is please tell me a little bit about your book and the inspiration behind writing it. Well, you know, living this uh, past year because of the pandemic caused by uh, COVID-19, except for being able to be with uh, uh, I, with my family in isolation, really gave me a chance, a special time to, to interact and watch uh, all my six grandkids. And I got to tell you, what a trip that was. You know, because of COVID, I was able to have all six of them here for about six weeks. So I had to see, I got a chance to really see how they got together. You know, all six of them have completely different personalities, mm-hmm. as you well know, as, a, as an educator. The one thing that they do have in common is their sense of curiosity and how excited they get, you know, when they do accomplish something. You know, watching them grow year to year and uh, and how they interact with each other really is the basis for this book. Because, you know, as you mentioned, what goes through a toddler's mind, you know, when the, when they're, they're so hard for parents to understand, you know, when do they really know the difference and learn the difference between me and us? You know, that's also part of the basis of the book. You know, the as a baby boomer myself, you know, I try to understand how the world has evolved since I was three years old. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the, the, you know, this is also part of my story. My parents didn't have cell phones. You know, they didn't have the internet. You know, they didn't have cable TV. They didn't have remote TV. Uh, I was my dad's remote. He said, son, go change the channel. You know, that, you know that's how we did remote when I was growing up. Um, so, so my parents' definition of discipline is, is a lot different than that's as we're seeing discipline is, is enacted in today's world today. Uh, is it any better? Is it any worse? I'll let your listeners kind of answer that question. Yeah, because uh, how were we treated growing up versus how we treat our kids today? And what do you think is some of those differences, though? I, you know, I'm I'm with you and leaving it up to the audience. But where do you think maybe some of those transitions came in from generation to generation of, of why it doesn't look the same and why discipline or or just how you even speak with your children has has evolved over time? Uh, you know, I, I grew up in the 50s and 60s, and my parents were part of the greatest generation ever. I mean. They're the ones that went through the Depression. They're the ones that saved the world in World War II. So they came back very disciplined. 
you know, and very, very focused, which was great. So, you know, the kind of discipline we had in my particular house is my brother Larry and I, if we got in trouble, my mom would say, what do your dad gets home? You know? And he would uh, whip out his belt and he would chase us around the uh, the kitchen table. And, you know, that was discipline. He, he had, mm-hmm. a, had a fraternity paddle that he kept in his closet. And uh, he also used that, too. And so one night when they were gone, my brother and I went to his closet. We took his fraternity paddle out. It was uh, we lived up in Ohio. It was late fall. There was there was leaves on the ground and we buried the paddle underneath the leaves. It snowed the next day and we went back out that spring and the paddle was gone. It was a miracle to me. That was discipline as I was growing up. I think my generation learned from that and we didn't want to chase our kids around the uh, kitchen table with belts. So, you know, we started talking to them and gave them a little bit better uh, way of, uh, you know, timeout and how to to do it. And we weren't we weren't as rough on our kids. And then I can see my kids are even better than us. You know, mm-hmm. they send, uh, you know, when their they're little kids are in trouble, they send them in a corner for time out. You know, that way the kid gets by himself. He gets away from everybody. You know, he can really appreciate all that. So uh, that's how discipline has evolved. And I think it's evolved for the better. I I agree. I, and I think you mentioned some key points that a lot of communication seems to be one of those key aspects in that involvement is, is that we're communicating more, maybe talking with kids a little bit more about feelings and, and emotions and and what they're experiencing. And that seems to be a big difference um, compared to how it was maybe several generations ago. Oh, I just went through I, I went to I've got uh, two of my kids live here. Grandkids live here in Arizona with us. I have two in in uh, Texas and two in Florida. So we went to my granddaughter's third birthday in in Texas about a month ago, and you know they're having the birthday party. Has her brother is four and a half years old, so she got a lot of trucks for her birthday, and they're playing with the trucks. And all of a sudden, they were fighting over these trucks. These two little kids, and she looks at him, and she says, "I need my space." And she gets up. And she walks over to the sofa and he looks at her and he, he says, I, I need my space, too. And he goes to the other side. Well, they didn't learn this on television. They mm-hmm. didn't. I am sure that one day their mother got so frustrated with both of them, looked at him and says, I need my space and walked <laughs> away. Yeah. But they learned from that. And I think it's, that's how everything's evolved since I was a kid. No, you're right. And, you know, it's funny. It probably was a lot of seeing either a parent kind of model it for them and, and take that space on their own or hopefully either talk to them about it, too, and say, why, instead of fighting, why don't you take some space? So it's instilling those kind of messages and strategies that hadn't been there previously. So I like that. Now, your your book talks a little bit about taking responsibility for your own actions, or that seems to be one of the key messages in there. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about where you see the importance of taking responsibility for your own actions, since you're right, it affects readers of all ages. And, and what does that mean, taking responsibility for your own actions? You know, at what age do we really begin to take responsibility for our actions? Is it three years old? Is it 13 years old? Is it 23 years old? You know, I've got plenty of baby boomers my age is 63 years old that still don't take responsibility for their actions. So yeah, that's a key part is, you know, how do we as parents you know, involve and teach these kids to do that? Never lose sight that we are the role models for these kids. Mm-hmm. They imitate us. They watch us. 
So, you know, it, I am thoroughly convinced that this is the greatest generation this country has ever produced. I mean, as soon as they come out of the womb, they're on the internet. You know, <laughs> they, they got their cell phones. They're, 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 they're streaming. They, they learn all these things, you know, when they're two, three, four years old electronically. You know, I didn't get on the internet until I was 40 years old. So it's a whole different world. And so we are the role models. We are the ones that have to teach them, uh, you know, they're getting all this great information from the internet. We have to balance that with real life. You know, mm. What can we teach them? How can we be the role models for them? You know, what do we need to do? You know, we're the ones that need to teach them and take them outside and play. Yeah, because they, they don't learn that on the internet. We're the ones that make sure, needs to make sure that they get a routine of reading books every night. You know, they learn that on the internet. So we are the role models, and that's what we as parents and grandparents have got to do. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, let me ask you, since you made made the statement about them coming out of the womb and they're right on the Internet, do you think that there is the sense where this generation, this young generation, has so much knowledge at their fingertips, probably more so than any generation ever has, but are they missing some of those aspects of taking that responsibility? As somebody who's been a high school teacher before, I, I've seen kids misuse or abuse social media or, you know, post things that have embarrassed peers or, or others. And, and then when you confront them on it, they, they don't seem to understand that, you know, once it's on the Internet, it's on the Internet forever type of thing like that. That level of taking responsibility isn't there. And you talked a little bit about the need to guide, but I'm just I'm curious if you feel like there's some detriment too to just the amount of information that that children have access to and and how do they know where those lines are of, of, of being responsible of being ethical in their actions and I know that's a, a lot that I threw at you but I'm interested to hear your perspective on that that's why we as soon as they're bored as soon as they're born we've got to get involved in reading books okay books can offset a lot of this you know, when you when you think about it, books need to be part of the routine of every child's life. You know, and, and my kids, they take their bath, they read their book. They have to read a book. Now, let's talk about why is it important for we for us to teach these kids to get involved in reading books. You know, and again, we have to be part of the routine. Everybody's got twenty books laying around their house. I mean, they got you got some kids' books laying around, so there's always a book to be there. Now, there's a hundred great books out there. Obviously, I want everybody to buy my book or read my book, but there's a hundred other great books out there too. And uh, you know, so let's talk about why it's important. We have got to step back, take the time, and read these kids' books. You know, and I'll look at it from a grandfather's standpoint is, you know, it takes about 20 minutes to read a book. OK, so that gives you about 20 minutes of really, you know, one on one time with 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 your child. Well, I want I recommend let them pick out the book because then they're engaged right away. Let them decide which book you want to read. Then once you get the, the child on your lap and you open up the book, you know, the first thing it does, it helps to start to create bonding. You know, it gives you a chance, a chance, a nice time to spend together, just being you and the child to be there together to concentrate and look at books and talk about it. You know, so that's one thing that's important that we need to make sure that every adult takes that effort, makes that effort every day to, to read books to your kids. Another reason that, that we need to be reading books to kids is it supports listening skills. Now, you and I know that as we grew older, 
listening skills are the best skills we can have. You as a teacher, you as a doctor, you have to listen. You have to listen to it to, to before you can really get involved. You know, in business, I've got to listen before I can sell anything. You know, listening skills is the best skill that we have. And if we can get that into these kids' minds as you're sitting on your lap when they're young, that they are learning how to do listening. You know, and listening may help them with, with the problem you were talking about with not taking responsibility is we need to make sure that we push that because they begin to listen. Another reason we need to be making sure that reading books to kids is part of the routine is it develops cognitive and language skills and language development. You know, there's plenty of words in these books these kids don't understand gives you a chance to sit there and explain it to them. There's plenty of these words in these books I don't understand. I got to go look up. So, you know, they're, they're, we can all learn from just sitting down that 20 minutes and reading books for them. And, and then another reason, it's it's great for attention span. You know, two, three, four, five-year-olds, they bounce off the wall all day long. You get them in your lap for 20 minutes. It helps uh, develop concentration, self-discipline. So we need to get into that routine because a lot of these things that, that, that they learn from the Internet, which are great, we can help offset and enhance by teaching them to read, because if you teach them to read while they're young, then they'll want to read while they get older. Absolutely. And, and you know, it sounds like, too, a lot of the, the things that you said about why it's great to read to your children, I couldn't help but think that you're also helping with them with some skills that I feel like are missing in a lot of the youth right now. Uh, I think back to times where if we wanted to talk with a friend or ask somebody out, right, you had to go up to them in person, you had to call somebody's house. So, you know, usually an adult answered the phone. You had to be cordial uh, and communicate with them before you got on the phone with your friend. And a lot of that is gone now um, just because of the way technology has advanced. Most kids have their their own cell phone or a house phone might not exist. And so nobody has to call the house phone and, and talk to a parent or an adult. So I really like the idea that do you feel that reading can also help with that social skill gap that is missing in a lot of our youth just because of the way technology has advanced. One of the roles of adults is it's necessary for us to teach children how to think, not what to think. They're going to learn what to think over their own time. We need to teach them how to think. And books do that. Books give you the opportunity to start to question, to learn how to question. You know, before you even sit down and read a book to a kid as you're, as you're opening the book, you know, just say to them, what do you think is going to happen in this book? Start that idea of teaching them how to think. You know, that's what we need to do. What's going to happen in this book? And then when you're reading the book and you're reading with the books, you want to talk to them. Who are the characters in this book? You know, where is the setting of this book? Keep questioning them because as long as you keep questioning them, then they're going to keep thinking. And then, you know, as you're halfway through the book, does anything in this book sound familiar to you? So mm -hmm. let them keep thinking because the more they think, the better it's going to be. And then when they're done, much like you should do every night at dinner time when you ask them what the best time of the day was, you know, what was your favorite part of this book? Why was it your favorite part of the book? You know, so always keep in the back of the mind that adults, parents, grandparents, we need to teach children how to think because the more we can teach them to think with everything they're learning, with all electronic things, gives them more to think about, you know, the better they're going to be when they're our age. 
I love that. I love this. So let me take a pause here for a second and ask you if my listeners wanted to be able to learn more about you, to learn more about your book, what your book has to offer, where would be the best place for them to either reach out to you or to go to learn more information about you and your book? Oh, sure. Uh, you can buy the book or any of my books on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, about a hundred other places, or come to my site. It's gramsjeffrey.com. So just come to gramsjeffrey.com, get information or come to the book site. I don't want to turn three.com. Or if they want to continue the conversation, I love talking about this stuff. So just email me at gramsjeffrey at gmail.com. I'd be glad to keep talking. I love it. I love it. Now, let me ask you, I feel like there has to be a story behind the title of your book, I Don't Want to Turn Three, something that, that happened that was the catalyst to that or or something that one of your grandchildren did that that became the inspiration for the title of this book. Well, first of all, the book is a true story. Uh, you know, I, I Don't Want to Turn Three. Uh, th- this is actually what happened at our okay. house. Uh, and all the pictures are pictures that I took and then I sent them to the uh, artist and she made them into more cartoons. Like, for instance, this is actually uh, Levi and Jackson in the bathtub. Levi loves wearing his goggles in the bathtub for some reason. (laughs) So, you know, that that really is it. Um, So here, I'll read you a page of the book. Maybe that'll help. Please, please. Okay. So uh, the story of the book, and again, you know, these books are... 20 minutes long. So uh, I can tell you the whole story. Uh, the, you know, the, the story of the book is that Jordan, who is two turning three tomorrow, um, has all his cousins, which we had, and he starts to take all their stuff. You know, he takes all Levi's sea creatures. He takes all of uh, Jackson's trucks. He takes all of their stuff and kind of keeps them a pile in his room. Mm-hmm. And then the oldest cousin, who is Olivia, who was eight at the time, she's a dancer. And he took her dancing shoes. And so she uh, walks into his room and she finds that he's got all this stuff in the room. So here's a page from the book. Then all of a sudden, Olivia screams, what are my dancing shoes doing in Jordan's room? The entire family runs to my private bedroom and Jackson yells, my dinosaurs and Levi shrieks, my sea creatures and Baker Paul's truck. And Grace cries, my dolls. And mommy looks at me like today will be my last day alive. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That sounds that sounds very creative. And I love that it's this true story and all the c- time that the cousins have spent together. That tell me a little bit more about that. That had to be an experience. And especially it sounds like it was happening during quarantine where everyone was together and, and at your house. Is that correct? Yeah. That's true. But what was interesting is how they resolved all this. Uh, And the mom and dad and the father really was the one who pushed this. He uh, called all the kids together. They got into a circle and they said, okay, what are we going to do here? And then Olivia, again, uh, she's eight at the time. Mm -hmm. She says, you know, what we should do is we should give all of our toys and all the gifts that, 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 that uh, Jordan just got for his birthday to the homeless kids downtown. And that's what they ended up doing. And that's how the story ends. Um, so so it's a, it, it was an interesting story how, how if you get everybody together and you start to think about what's right, difference between right and wrong, mm-hmm. um, and you let the kids figure it out. I mean, the, the parents could have told them what to do, um, but they really let the kids figure out, all right, we got a problem here. How are we going to solve it? And if you think about that, uh, yeah, 
this this is the same thing goes on in every family in one way or another. This is a story of every family in the world. Uh, how do how do you solve and resolve where everybody buys into what you're doing? Yeah, no, that's great. That is great. Well, let me ask you too this question: Is there anything that I haven't hit on, touched on anything that you're working on or that's close to your heart that you would like to share with my listeners that I have not had the opportunity to talk to you or ask you about today? Well, I'm working on another book called I Don't Want to Turn Four. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) And Olivia came to me last week. She's now nine years old. She says, Gramps, I got a great idea for our next book. And I said, you know, what's, what's that idea? She says, the book should be called I Don't Want to Turn 10. I said, you don't want to turn 10. Olivia, why don't you want to turn 10? Mm-hmm. She says, you know, I got to start worrying about how to learn how to drive. And I said, that's seven years away. Why are you worrying about that now? And she says, you know, I got to start thinking about where I'm going to go to college. I said, that's nine years away. Why mm-hmm. are you worrying about that now? She says, you know, and, and she says, I don't know if I want to be double digit. I don't know if I really want to turn 10. She says, you know, those fifth graders, they got a lot more homework than we have. And uh, and she says, yeah, I think that should be our next book. But when you think about it, at any age, I don't want to turn 21. Mm-hmm. I don't want to turn 60. I don't want to turn 50. I don't want to turn 39. You know, when you think about it, we are all kind of we're thinking about what's going on in the past and mm-hmm. what's going to happen in the future. I like I like it because it sounds like there is this opportunity for you through the voice of your grandchildren to really explore a lot of anxieties that children have that are often get overlooked because, right, you know, children's anxieties when you think about them and compared to, you know, am I providing uh, food and shelter and everything for my family? Sometimes children's anxieties seem a little like, uh, really, that's what you're worried about? Like, that seems really small, but that's what their world is is like, right? They have a smaller version of our world. There are things that are, that are catastrophic to them that as adults, we go, why is that catastrophic to you? But I think your books have this opportunity to be really powerful and speak to some of those anxieties that children have and and help them recognize that, oh, look, there's other children out there who feel the same way that I do or experiencing the same things or don't want to turn 10 either. So I love that your grandchildren seem to be so involved in in the book process with you and, and really have the opportunity to provide you with some great stories of what they're going through and what they're feeling. You know, we talked about questions that we need to be challenging our kids with, Mm -hmm. you know, as as we're reading books or as we're talking to them, you know, day in, day out. You know, there's this one question that I wish that every parent would ask their child. Uh, And it's a simple question. You know, what did you do that was nice to someone else today? If you think about that, you know, and, and and I started trying that with my little two, three, and four-year-olds. What did you do that was nice to someone else today? At first, they don't understand what you're saying. They don't they don't get it. You know, oh, I didn't take my my cousin's trucks today. You know, mm-hmm. well, you know, but, but what you do? But if you if we would say that to our children every single day, what did you do that was nice to someone else? You know, after three or four days, they'll kind of get it. You know, yeah. they may open the door. Uh, for an old lady or walk an old guy across the street. You know, they may do something nice. And then every night if we ask them at dinner time, what did you do that was nice to someone else today? You know, maybe we could get them to do kind of like what Olivia suggested the kids do is give everything to the the homeless kids. You know? mm-hmm. But think about our country. If every family in this country 
started today to ask their child that. Can you imagine how different we would be at our age? If they all grew up with thinking about what could they do that was nice to someone else today, how different our lives would be. I like that because it's not just asking the question, but it's also creating this level of mindfulness around it too. So now they're aware and they're looking for opportunities to be kind more so than just instances where it happened to be that I was kind to somebody today. So I like that too. I think there's kind of a twofold there that you're talking about it, but you're also more mindful and you're looking for those opportunities. So that's, that is fantastic. Well, before we finish up here, I want to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests, and that is if you could send a message to students and or young adults right now that may be struggling or have struggled in school, either academically or social emotionally, what message would you share with them? I would share that when you love, you will teach others how to love. So, you know, if if kids, you know, really start to, to take to heart and start to, to just love other people. Other people are going to learn how to love. And again, going back to how could that change this society that we live in? How could it make it just so much better? Yeah. I love that. I love it. Well, Gramps, thank you so much for coming on the Neurodiverse Teacher Podcast. I appreciate you. I appreciate all that you're doing. I can't wait to read. I don't want to turn four when that comes out. And I truly hope that you have the opportunity over the next several years with your grandchildren to continue writing these inspiring books that will really help other children get to connect and and feel connected in, in this great big world. So thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you, Kristen, for inviting me. Anytime.